Today, my dear, <clears throat> my dear faithful, is Septuagesima Sunday, and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 9. Brethren, know you not that they that run in the race, all run indeed, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And everyone that restriveth for the mastery refraineth himself from all things. And they indeed that they may receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible one. I therefore so run, not as at an uncertainty, I so fight, not as one beating the air, but I chastise my body and bring it into subjection, lest perhaps when I preach to others, I myself should become a castaway. For I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all in Moses were baptized in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. And the Holy Gospel. <clears throat> Taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 20. <clears throat> At that time, Jesus spoke to his disciples in this parable. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And having agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing in the marketplace idle, and he said to them, Go you also into my vineyard, and I will give you what shall be just. And they went their way. And again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did in like manner, but about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he saith to them, Why stand you here all the day idle? They say to him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith to them, Go you also into my vineyard. And when evening was come, the lord of the vineyard saith to his steward, Call the laborers, and pay them their hire, beginning from the last even to the first. When therefore they were come that came about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first also came, they thought that they should receive more, and they also received every man a penny. And receiving it, they murmured against the master of the house, saying, These last have worked but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, that have borne the burden of the day and the heat. But he answering said to one of them, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou, didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take what is thine, and go thy way. I will also give to this last, even as to thee. Or is it not lawful for me to do what I will? Is thy eye evil because I am good? So shall the last be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. <clears throat> Everyone that striveth for the mastery refraineth himself from all things. I therefore so run, not as at an uncertainty, I so fight, not as one beating the air, but I chastise my body and bring it into subjection. Words taken from the epistle of today's Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <clears throat> Those words of today's epistle, my dear faithful, that I just quoted, are some of the fundamental truths of a virtuous life. To save our souls, we must aim for sanctity. To aim for sanctity, we must conquer ourselves, or as the epistle put it, 
strive for the mastery. To achieve this mastery, then, we must have God's grace first and foremost, as well as a will to follow that grace and a knowledge of ourselves. Know thyself is one of the most frequent and classic instructions from Catholic spiritual writers. Only then, with that knowledge, can we, as St. Paul put it in today's epistle, run not at an uncertainty, fight not as one beating the air, but chastise my body and bring it into subjection. St. Paul was saying he knows his goal is sanctity, so he runs to it with certainty. He knows his weakness and the trials ahead, so he won't miss when he strikes at sin and pointlessly beat the air, so to speak. Instead, he will mortify his body and bring it into subjection. For us to do the same, we must know ourselves, our faults and our failures, our tendencies both towards virtue as well as to vice. And one very important part of this is knowledge of our passions or our emotions. Last week, Bishop Carroll touched on these passions, but there is so much that could be said on them. And so today and next Sunday, I will continue explaining the passions so that you too can fight not as one beating the air. God gave to all mankind 11 passions. He created them as part of our body. And since God himself created them, all 11 emotions are good things of themselves. However, due to original sin, they tend to be disordered and even lead us to sin. We can't forget, though, that despite this disorder, they can and often do lead us to virtue as well. There are two overall types of passions, the concupiscible and the irascible. Today I will go over the six concupiscible, and next Sunday, the five irascible. The six concupiscible passions are love and hate, desire and aversion, joy and sadness. Notice how they are grouped together in pairs. Each concupiscible passion has an opposite. Love is, of course, the opposite of hate. These are the positive emotions drawing us towards something, as well as negative drawing us away from something. Love, joy, and desire are positive, drawing us to some good, like, of course, dessert. While hatred, sadness, and aversion are negative, driving us away from some evil, like sub-zero temperatures, which I think we're all familiar with these past couple of days. Some authors explain that the two most basic passions that all others are based on are love and hate. With love being the base for the positive passions and hate the foundation for the negative passions. And so now, each concupiscible passion in particular. Love is a yearning for union with the present good. 
This passion is why we embrace our loved ones. It's a desire for union, like a mother the first time she sees her child. Her emotion of love drives her to reach out to hold her little one, even though she may be, probably is, exhausted at that time. Love is also the passion that drives fathers to sacrifice themselves, working at a job day in and day out for their family, or even risking their life to defend their home. Their love unites them to their family so closely that doing good for their family, like providing safety, that is the same as achieving the good for themselves. What is interesting, though, is that at the same time that the father's love drives him to defend his home, he feels the emotion of hatred for whatever puts it in danger. The emotion of hatred is an eagerness to be rid of a present evil, like the desire to get a burglar out of the house. Hatred is also what children often feel in the face of homework. That urge to just stop and run away from it, that is the passion of hatred. Now, there is a difference between the emotion of hatred and the sin of hatred. The emotion is just a natural reaction on the part of our body, while the sin, it is giving into and wishing harm to another and despising them. Hatred, then, is a bodily emotion, while the sin is a choice of our free will, which, of course, is often based on and accompanied by the emotion of hatred. As I mentioned, the other passions are based on these two, love and hatred. The difference here is, first, how close the good or evil is, as well as what the emotion does with it. Aversion and desire are the pair of concupiscible passions that look to something that is absent. Aversion flees from an approaching evil. That's the feeling of dread a child experiences every August when they are hit with the realization that summer vacation is almost over. School is about to start. Desire is the opposite. It's the feeling of longing for an absent good. Like when you're on your way home after a long day, imagining finally taking a break. That's the emotion of desire looking for the absent good of relaxation. Then, when you are home and enjoying your rest, that's when desire switches to the emotion of joy. Joy is satisfaction on a present pleasure. We may not realize it, but we really do have joy all the time. When you drink something you like, sit in a comfortable chair, talk to a friend, or many dozens, if not hundreds of others, that things that you experience the emotion of joy in. Its opposite is sadness, which is sorrow at a present displeasure, such as coming home from work and not finding rest, but instead you hear that the heater is broken when there are, again, sub-zero temperatures outside. 
that is when sadness often strikes. Now, the purpose of knowing these passions is knowing how they can manipulate you. As they are disordered, they will often pull you away from virtue and towards vice. Gluttony, covetousness, and lust, these vices usually start with the emotions of love, desire, and joy. The glutton and the lustful desire the pleasure sin brings. They love it when it is present and experience joy when it is accomplished. Pride is the sin of someone drunk on love of themselves so that they desire only glory and praise and take exulting joy when they receive it. Let us not forget, though, the negative passions, aversion, hatred, and sadness. Their companion vices are sloth and envy. Sloth looks at the effort involved in virtue, and its great ally, aversion, demands you run from it. Then when aversion can't escape that work or effort and is forced into it, sadness and hatred whine and complain when the... And so see how emotions so easily work with vice. How many souls have been destroyed by these vices and led to this destruction by following their emotions. However, don't forget that our passions just as easily lead us to virtue as well. The passion of love helps families and friends sacrifice for each other, having joy when they do good to each other, and sadness when their loved one suffers. All of those, when done for God, are practices of the virtue of charity. They earn merit before God, an eternal reward, and heavenly glory. That is what the saying, charity begins at home, means. Our passions, then, can help in so many ways like this. At times, we will feel joy in saying a kind word, sadness at what our sins do to the sacred heart. Hatred for sin and its disastrous effects on souls, and aversion for the occasions that lead us to fall. See again how the passions and virtue can and often do work together. And now, with this knowledge of what the passions are, at least the concupiscible passions so far, you can know yourself better. Ask yourself, how do these emotions commonly affect you? Do you tend towards the negative passions or the positive? What vices do they lead you to? What virtues do they help you to practice? This can help you recognize what passions are flaring up, what they are leading you to do. Then, with the light of reason and of God's grace, to strive for the mastery. Then you will be able to declare with St. Paul, I therefore so run not as at an uncertainty, I so fight not as one beating the air, but I chastise my body 
and bring it into subjection. God, my dear faithful, made you to be so much more than a slave to your emotions. He made you for glory, for sanctity here in this life. He created those same emotions as aids to push you forward to virtue. Then original sin corrupted them, but the divine wisdom had a plan even for the now disordered passions. We are to fight them when they lead us astray, to conquer them, and thus to strive for the mastery. Use your passions, my dear faithful. Do not let them use you. To help you do this, next week I will go over the irascible passions. Please God, with this knowledge, as well as your firm determination and God's grace, you and I will both achieve sanctity in this life. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.